Goldstein, and this is a special episode of my podcast, The Scriptures Are Real, the podcast where we try to look at things that help the scriptures become more real so that we can gain more power from them. In these special editions, I'm posting videos that I made for my classes at, in order to help them get more out of class than what we could cover in class, and I've decided to make them available to you so that you can uh, also get a little bit of extra more beyond what I'd be able to do in the normal podcast. I just want to help people understand Isaiah. So they're very video oriented frequently, not all the time, but frequently. And my apologies to my audio audience, which is my largest audience. But uh, when I made these, I wasn't thinking of audio. I was just thinking of my classes, but I think you'll still get plenty out of them if you're just on audio and you can always go to the YouTube uh, video if there's one that you felt like, ah, I'd just like to see that part. Um, but and, and they're kind of hokey. They're just what I do for my classes, although the whole podcast is kind of hokey. So that's fine. I've just done this because I hope it's helpful for you. OK, so here is another video just to give you a little bit of background to help you understand Isaiah 18 through 20. Uh, these are some tricky chapters with some tricky verses in them. Uh, some of it is a real difficulty in translating, uh, but hopefully we can help you understand a little bit about what it's talking about. Our real clue to where it's talking about starts in verse one. Uh, we get woe to the land, shadowing with wings. Most likely um, that word should really be translated as buzzing with wings. We should tell the King James translators that I, I, I do not think that word means what you think it means. But anyway, we still don't know exactly what it means with buzzing. Uh, there's one idea, but uh, get back to you with that in just a second. Anyway, it says, which is beyond the rivers of Ethiopia. So I'll just tell you right now, and I'm back to explain why, that, that tells us that it's really talking about Egypt, all right? So maybe the buzzing is because one of the symbols of Egypt was a bee, and so buzzing wings, but I don't know, it's a pretty weak connection, who knows? In any case, to understand this, let's look at the geography of Egypt. Traditional Egypt and its, its traditional natural boundaries go from Aswan all the way to the Mediterranean Sea. And of course, you follow the trace of the Nile for that. And the reason why this becomes the natural boundary is the um, stone all along here, <clears throat> excuse me, is um, really all the same kind of stone. So it wore away evenly and you have this nice smooth river that's very easy to navigate. It's important to realize that one of the reasons Egypt is stable is because it um, it, it has good agriculture because of that flooding river, but also because they can travel very easily up and down that river. Um, the current flows one way, the wind goes the other way, so you can either row or sail, um, and it's easy to travel and maintain uh, communications, move military, move building materials, and that kind of a thing. The problem is that once you get to here, all of this area of the Nile is uh, carved through rock that's some of it's granite, some of it's sandstone, a little limestone, and those wear away at different rates. And that creates a series of rapids, um, and or they're called cataracts as well. So this is what's known as the first cataract. You have the second, third, fourth, fifth, and so on. So um, that's part of why Egypt is also easy to defend. People have to come either by sea, or they'll have to come across the desert. And this way, they'll have to, if they're coming by boat, they have to get out and carry their boats. Well, that's an easy spot to defend them. It creates a bottleneck where people are vulnerable and you can defend them. Um, so this area south of um, Aswan is known to the Egyptians as Kush. The King James translators will translate that as Ethiopia, but it's known as Kush in ancient times. Today, it's modern day Sudan and a little bit of Ethiopia. So 
um, what happens is that in like by 2200 um, or so BC, the Egyptians are really controlling this area and then they gain very, very strong control of it so that for by the time of Isaiah's day for like uh, about 1500 years or so, um, you've got uh, an area that has become Egyptianized. They are not Egyptians, but they have been part of Egypt for so long that they write with Egyptian language. They have their own language as well, but they write with Egyptian language. They keep elements of their own culture, but they've adopted a lot of elements of Egyptian culture. They've become very, very Egyptianized. And in fact, as um, you remember, we talked about the, uh, the Sea Peoples and Ramses, the third defeating the Sea Peoples, but Egypt never regains its height. And in fact, it starts to shrink and fragment and it goes into a period of destabilization. So there comes a period just before Isaiah's day where the rulers up in this area become weak and there's some infighting and so on, and they really can't control the country. And so one of the, what are known as viceroys or governors of Kush, um, who is a, a native Kushite, um, brings his Egyptian army, which consists of Kushites, up and uh, conquers all these people and becomes the king of all Egypt. He's an Egyptianized Kushite or Ethiopian, if you're doing the translation in, in the time of King James. So um, in Isaiah's day, Egypt is ruled by these Kushite um, rulers who are very, very powerful. Um, this is just to show you some pictures of them. You can see Shabako, one of the more powerful ones, uh, very much African features, but with this Egyptian style of dress and so on. Um, they even adopt pyramids. They, they modify it. These are a steeper version of pyramids, but they adopt pyramids as their tombs. You can see this um, uh, Sphinx, which is very Egyptian, but the face of the king is very African. This is a, a Kushite pharaoh. Um, and Taharka, this is one that's important. So he's one of the powerful, first of all, generals and then um, pharaohs. Again, you can see uh, very African, but uh, with this typical Egyptian dress. Taharka, in fact, will be the one that um, in Isaiah's day, uh, Egypt is, um, and I'll explain why. Well, no, I think, I think I've got a map here. Yeah, so let's, let's make sure we understand this. Remember that Assyria is trying to expand and they're going to expand this way. The Egyptians finally, for the first time in a long time, under the Kushites, are powerful enough to expand as well. Now, they expand a little bit south, but really they already control most of what's south of them, but where there's a lot of people. As they expand north, now you can see who's in between these two expanding areas. Of course, it's, it's Judah and Israel. And so the Kushites will employ a number of what we call proxy wars, where rather than trying to fight the Assyrians themselves, they support the people in this area as they fight them. And sometimes we'll come to aid them, sometimes they support them in other ways. Um, and the people in this area will continually rely on Egypt, but they're just not as powerful as they used to be. And the Assyrians are so powerful that most of the time that doesn't work out for them. And Egypt becomes a symbol of trusting in the world and the world doesn't come through for you. There is one exception to that. Um, and that is that in the days of Hezekiah, Hezekiah does um, rebel against Assyria. He does uh, trust in Egypt, and, and we get um, Taharka uh, as a general before his pharaoh brings uh, an army up to support uh, Jerusalem. Now, it's difficult to juxtapose uh, the biblical account and the Egyptian accounts, but it seems like what happens is that the Assyrian army gets wind that Taharka is coming up with his army. They withdraw to fight them. Uh, the biblical account says they're smitten by a plague. The Egyptian account says Taharka defeats them. 
Uh, it may be that Taharqa is the plague that smites them, or they come to, to uh, fight the Egyptians, and God sends a mysterious plague and defeats them, and then, of course, the Egyptians claim credit. In the end, I don't know, but Taharqa certainly plays a role in this in Isaiah's day. Um, so, now let's go back uh, to the chapter and look at verse 2. Verse 2 is very difficult to translate. There are a number of words that aren't used anywhere else. There are some words that it seems like um, Isaiah is kind of... Um, making uh, up uh, using some kind of plays on words. So maybe something like if we're going to go with this buzzing theme, we could say, you know, the bees, uh, we ex exer uh, observe their buzziness, right? Which is a play on words for buzzing, but also busyness uh, and so on. So he has some things that are like that. So it's a little difficult to know how to translate it, but this is my best attempt at a translating. Uh, a translation. So talking about this country beyond the rivers of Ethiopia that sends envoys by sea and who go on the surface of the water in vessels of papyrus. Go you swift messengers to a people tall or maybe it's extended, stretched out and smooth or, or hairless to a nation feared far and wide. Literally it's from here to there. I think far and wide is a good translation. But anyway, a nation strong and powerful. I'm not so sure that that's what those words mean. Um, who trample and whose land is divided by rivers. Well, let's look at this a little bit, all right? Um, in Egypt, we know that they made papyrus boats. So remember I said that they traveled a lot um, on the river. That was an important part of how they uh, worked as a country. And they would, uh, one of the frequent kinds of boats that they would use is to take these strands of papyrus and tie them together, and then you get something like this, right? This, we get lots of depictions of these papyrus boats that were like this. So remember that it says, uh, in the King James Version, it says vessels of, of bulrush, but really it's papyrus, all right? And then swift messengers, uh, people tall. This may mean literally tall, uh, and a couple of the Cushite pharaohs were fairly tall, but on the whole, they're average. Um, I think it's probably extended. This is a people who have extended out. They have this long, long, long country um, and smooth or hairless. So uh, for the Egyptians, one of the things that really sets them apart is that their priests, uh, the laws of ritual purity for their priests demanded that they be completely shaved. Um, so you can see here uh, and everything shaved and, and smooth, right? Uh, that's very unique, especially to a group like Isaiah's group where Men all have beards and so on. Uh, for a hairy group to see these uh, kind of representatives of Egypt who are smoother or hairless would really stand out. Um, and to a nation feared far and wide, strong and powerful. Uh, Egypt, for much of the known history of their known world, was the most powerful country around. China was also very powerful at this time, but they didn't really know about China, and China didn't know about them. So for their world, for much of history, Egypt was the most feared and, and most extended nation. Um, so I think that's a uh, description for them, and they would trample people, whose land is divided by rivers. So remember that Egypt is Egypt. Herodotus calls it the gift of the Nile. This is the longest river in the world that divides, and there is a real divide between the East and West Bank and so on. But then it gets up to this delta. In fact, it's called the delta because Herodotus thought it looked like that triangular shape of the letter delta in, um, in the Greek alphabet. Uh, but it's, it spreads out to all sorts of little rivers and it's very hard to get back and forth. So about half the population of Egypt lived in this very fertile area, but it was hard to get back and forth. It's very divided by those rivers. If you're gonna go east, west, north, south, it's okay. That's how the water flows. East-West, it's very, very divided by that. So most likely, that is what 
um, he's referring to. So hopefully that's all helpful for you. Um, let's see here.